we're going to continue the series we've been in this morning. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how 2019 is a year of... Does, it, does anybody know the three things? New ways, new days, and new phrase, right? And so that's the series we've been looking at, uh, I think, for the last three weeks. Pastor Sam's been talking to us about... And our key scripture in this series has been Joshua 3, 4. In fact, we're going to read the passage around that scripture today. And the scripture says, For you have not passed this way before, which is so applicable to us in this new stage that we're moving into. We haven't passed this way before. And God's going to begin to do things in your life And in our life as a body of believers that we've never done before. And I believe that it's going to be greater things, more impactful things, more kingdom-focused things. God is calling us into uh, something awesome and something new here in our church. And we haven't been that way before. Now, we've talked about how there are some things that we have to get. This was week one. We have to get some things before we can go to God's promise. And you can go back if you missed any of these and if any of this piques your interest. Uh, all this is on our uh, iTunes feed, uh, and I believe they're on the website as well. So if you want to go back and listen to any of these, you can. Uh, so there's some things we got to get before we can go to God's promises. Then we talked about how we have to get some things together, like the Word of God and like the people of God, And like the plan of God, there's some things that we have to get together before we can move into the promise. Then last week, Pastor Sam talked to us about how we have to go after some things in order to pursue God's presence. And some of the things that he talked about is is that we have to pray and fast and be in God's word to be a people who can walk in his promises. And this week, I would like to talk to you about the undeniable fact. Now listen, what I'm going to talk to you about, nobody is immune to this. Every single person in this room, this applies to at some point in your life. So the undeniable fact that in order to obtain God's promises, there are some things that we are going to have to go through. And most of those things that we have to go through in order to obtain the promises of God are not comfortable, happy things, right? There's some things in life that we just got to go through. It's the world that we live in. It's the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to his people in a fallen world. Is we got to go through some difficult things in order to come out on the other side more righteous, and more holy, and more like Jesus. We look more like Jesus whenever we trust God through the difficult circumstances in our life. So, today we're going to return to the Israelites and Joshua, and they're coming into the promised land. See, in order to obtain the promised land, God brought the Israelites through some things. You could probably think of five or six things right off the top 
that God brought Israel through in their journey from Egypt to um, the Promised Land. But today we're going to look at at two in particular. Let me give you a little bit of background, though. When Israel arrived at the Promised Land, very short journey from Egypt to the Promised Land to Canaan, very short journey. And when they arrived there, God instructed Moses to send twelve spies into the land to scout it out, just to kind of see uh, what the layout was, what the enemy looked like. Uh, they they went and they took some uh, samples of the crops to to see what the land was producing. And the the twelve spies saw how good the land was, but ten of the spies were intimidated by the enemies in the land. They reported that even though the land was good, Israel had no chance of winning a war against the current inhabitants. And this influenced the people. The people uh, began to hear these bad reports, and the people, upon hearing the bad reports, began to move from faith to fear. They began to think about all, instead of thinking about what God said he was going to do, they began to think of all the bad things that could happen. And that's what happens whenever we, uh, whenever we are motivated by fear and anxiety instead of faith in the Word of God. We begin to get our eyes off of what God is saying, what God has said, the promises of God, and we begin to be motivated by what could happen. And that's a bad place to be. They began to talk of demoting Moses and finding a new leader. And, and get this, this is, this is the irrational thought process that this does to us. They began to talk about going back to their captivity in Egypt. Instead of, instead of looking forward to the land of promise, they began to, they began to talk about going back into bondage. And that's what being motivated by fear and anxiety instead of faith in the Word of God does to us. It creates irrational thoughts in our, in our mind and in our spirit. And though Moses interceded for them, and God had mercy and did not destroy Israel for their rebellion against him, God did bring judgment against their unbelief. They were condemned to wander in the wilderness as nomads for 40 years. Now listen, this was just a short journey from captivity to promise. But they were, they were judged because of their unbelief, and they had to circle around in the desert for 40 years until every single person 20 years old and older died. And all of those were the ones that had rebelled in unbelief against God instead of entering into his promise. Now I want you to think about something. There were two spies who had faith. Anybody know their names? Joshua and Caleb. That's right. When we read this story in, uh, in, in, at bedtime, my kids always say, that's you, dad. Say, no, that's not me. So there was also an entire nation of young people under the age of 20 who weren't part of that rebellion. Uh, apparently, it, you know, God, God did it somehow to where, 
uh, he didn't count the judgment against all those who were, who were minorities, basically, who were under the age of 20. But all of those people had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before inheriting God's promise as well. While all the, the people of unbelief were dying, all these other people who were not a part of that were part, were circling the desert. They were wandering in the wilderness. Now, why was that? I believe it's because God had a purpose to purify his people of unbelief before they inherited the promise of God, before they inherited the promised land. And you see, God does the same thing in us. You know, in the New Testament, it tells us that uh, the people of Israel are a, are a picture of us. They're, they're a picture of, of what we deal with and what we struggle with and how God deals with us. They're a picture of, of the, the Christian life. And God does the same thing in us. We often long for the promises of God in our lives, but we find ourselves in the wilderness of trial and struggle. Anybody ever been there? Where you know, you know what God has said. You know what God has promised. But you find yourself in the mud. You find yourself in the pit. You find yourself in the dark places of life. We've all been there, right? Let me encourage you that God is purposefully doing something in your life. He is. If you are a believer, if you have been born again, and you are trusting in Jesus to save you from your sin, God is purposefully doing something in your life. Even in the darkest place, even in the pit, even in your moments of depression and sin, God is doing something in your life. And you need to understand that. We need to understand that as the people of God. He's sanctifying our souls and building our faith in the wilderness of trial. While we're going through it, He's doing something. So let's turn... You're probably already there to Joshua 3. And what's going on here is in Joshua 3, the Israelites are on the border of the promised land. They're, they're finally about to enter in after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And the Jordan River uh, is, is a natural boundary keeping them out of the land. So there's this, there's this river between them and God's promise. And let's, uh, let's start reading in verse 1 here. It says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, Move out from your positions and follow them. Since they have never, since you, and here's our key verse, uh, since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. 
Make sure you don't come any closer. Then, the, then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And I'm going to kind of summarize verse 6 through 13. In those verses, God begins to instruct Joshua how to proceed. How many of you know that, that sometimes you know where you need to go, but you don't know how to get there, right? And so I want to encourage y'all to be praying for uh, our church as a whole and be praying for the leadership and be praying for Pastor Sam and Pastor Kyle that, that we can know how we're going to get from where we are to where God is bringing us. That's something important that we need to be praying right now. What are the details that God wants us to do right now to get from where we are to where he is bringing us? Can y'all, can y'all do that? Can y'all pray that with me? Um, so, uh, so God begins to instruct Joshua in the details, how he's to proceed in this crossing of the Jordan River. He told him that the priests must carry the Ark of the Covenant in front of the people as they cross into the land. When the priests carrying the Ark step into the overflowing Jordan River, uh, God says that the river will dry up so that they can cross into the land. Now that's, that's, that's a, that's a kind of a weird method, right? Uh, that's, that's something kind of odd and spiritual, right? And listen, I'm going to tell you guys, God is going to begin to stretch us in some areas. He's going to begin to call us to, 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 to open our hearts to some biblical things that maybe, maybe we've never experienced before. Maybe we've never been a part of before. I promise you, there will be nothing done in this church that is not from this Bible. There will be nothing in this church that is not from this Bible, but God is going to begin to stretch us and call us to step out in faith into some things that we've never done before. And that's what's going on here. He's saying that they're going to step in the river and it's going to stop flowing. It's kind of weird, you know? It's kind of cool, yeah. Uh, and so then, this is what Joshua does. Joshua goes and he, he tells the people. He says, this is what's going to happen. These, these guys, they're going to go, they're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, they're going to step in the river, and it's going to stop flowing, okay? And then you guys are just going to cross over, and then they're going to step out, and then the river's going to start flowing again. And we're going to be good, okay? So he communicates that to them. And then let's start reading again in verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests were carrying the Ark of the the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water, at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan, and the water below that point onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan 
on dry ground. Now, you know, we don't need to get too caught up in how God did that. You know, it could have been a, a mudslide or, you know, it could have been a, a strong wind that God created or it could have been a dang force field. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that God said it and when the priest stepped in the water, the water stopped flowing. God was faithful. So it doesn't really matter how he did it. You know, if it really mattered, then, 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 then the Bible would have said, then God put a force field up at the town, Adam, and the water stopped flowing. That doesn't matter. What matters is, is that God was faithful to do what he said he was going to do. So here's the picture. Uh, you know, some of the, I didn't do a whole lot of research on this, but, but some of the, Numbers coming out of, of Egypt indicate that there was over a million Israelites at this point. And they had their families, which included their children and their tents, their animals. And, and you gotta remember, this was a nomadic people, so they had all the tools and supplies that are necessary for a nomadic people with them. They're carrying a lot of stuff. A lot of people. So they come to this overflowing, you know, it says, it says it was the harvest season. The river was overflowing, a rushing, overflowing river with no bridge or other means of crossing. You know, they didn't have a ferry or a bridge or, or anything to get them over. And the command of God is cross into the land. So here I'm standing at, at this, river, you know, it's, it's probably longer than from the stage to the back of the room. I got to cross it. It's rushing water, deep water. I got kids. I got all this stuff. And, and I'm standing here and God says, move forward. That's the picture. So what do we do when we know God's command and yet it seems impossible to move forward. What we do when the things that we are going through, or what do we do when the things that we are going through seem to paralyze our movement forward in God's plan for our lives? What do you do whenever you hear the Word of God tell you what you need to do to move forward into, the God, into God's promise, but you just can't implement it in your life. The Israelites at the command of God put the Ark of the Covenant out in front of them. That's key. They put the Ark out in front of them and followed it into the river, blocking their path into the promise of God. See, they believed the promise of God that the river would dry up and when God did what he said he would do, they moved forward into the promise. And, you know, you may be going through something today where there seems that there is no path forward. Let me tell you, and this is so important, remember the ark. 
The Ark of the Covenant represents God. It represents his presence in the midst of his people. That's what the Ark represents. And let me tell you that if you will put God out in front of your life and take hold of the promises in his word, he will make a way forward. He will. God doesn't want to leave us at the banks of the Jordan River. He wants us to move forward into his promise. But we have to submit to him and make him the highest Lord of our lives. See, that's what it means to put him in front. That, that's what it means to, to, to follow him, to put him in the front. God has to be at the front of our affections. He has to be at the front of our priorities in every aspect of our lives. And this has to happen in order for the, for the rivers of trial and tribulation to dry up in front of us. Now listen, sometimes they, sometimes we got God out in front and the river keeps on a raging, right? And God says, believe me, trust me, keep me in the front, put me at the top of your life and I will make a way. I will bring you into my promise. He will. But listen, we got to keep him in the front. We got to put him at the top. We can't have TV and family sports and our phones and internet and social media. We can't have those things at the top. Those things want to be at the top. Money wants to be at the top. Work wants to be at the top. It can't be there if the river is going to part and we're going to move into the promise of God. He's got to be at the top. Amen? He's got to be in the front. So what else did they do? We must take hold of the promises of the Bible just like Israel believed God's word that he would dry up the river. You see, in the Bible, God has graciously revealed to us all of his promises to his people. So when we are walking in a dark place in life, the Bible, the Psalms tell us, serves as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in those dark places. You know, if we turned off all these lights in here and we blacked out the windows and there was no light in this room and, and you were over there and you had to walk all the way across this room, how many of you think you could get across without running into a chair and falling over? It's not going to happen, right? But listen, if you had a, a flashlight, if you had a light for your feet, a lamp for your path, you can navigate through the darkness. God's word is a, a, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We live in a very dark world. We live in a world that is fighting for your soul. And we can't navigate the darkness without the word of God. 
We, we, we as the people of God, we, we can't go a day without the Bible. We can't go a day without the Bible. Listen, we can't go, you know, there's, a, there's an old hymn, I, I need the every hour. I need the every hour in joy and pain. We need the Word of God in our hearts so that we, we can go to it every hour, in every circumstance, in every situation. And, and if the devil has somehow derailed you from, from the Word of God, listen, you've, you've, you're severed from your lifeline. You're in the dark. You're, you're trying to live the Christian life in the dark. And so I want to encourage you to, to plug in to the Word of God. So let's recap briefly before we go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to start flipping that away, that's what's next. Quick recap. God sends us into wilderness wanderings in life with the purpose of sanctifying and purifying our souls. That's his purpose. Sometimes the command of God seems impossible due to our circumstances. Sometimes the trials and troubles of life leave us paralyzed from moving forward into God's plan for our lives. But in order to cross these, these rivers, you know, what the, what the Jordan was typical of, in order to cross these rivers and walk in the promise of God, we have to put Him as the top love and the top priority of our lives and take hold of the promises of His Word in our hearts. Now, let everybody look here. He will make a way for us to move forward. If, if, if we can do this, and listen, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. It's not about waking up in the morning and checking off boxes. It's about the Spirit of the Lord renewing our hearts. God changing our hearts to where we love His Word, to where we love to meditate on His Word day and night. And, and you know what it says? It says that the man who, who meditates on the Word of God day and night, he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. He will produce, he and she will produce fruit in its season. You will begin to live for God in radical and awesome ways. His leaf will not wither. It won't matter what happens in your circumstances because your, your energy, your joy comes from somewhere else. It comes from the roots of the Word of God and the grace that is the river that's, that's flowing by that tree. His leaf won't wither. And, and listen to this. He prospers in everything that he does. We got to get him out in front. We got to get our hearts in the word of God, but it's not by willpower. It's not by the work of man. It's by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's just stop and pray for a second. Lord, we pray that in this church, God, that your Holy Spirit would so change our hearts that we are not consumed by the things of this world, Lord. But God, that, that we love your word, that we meditate on it day and night, God, and that we, you are our top love and our top priority. God, change our hearts, we pray. 
Amen. So, all of this, all that we're talking about here, it applies to us as individuals, but it also applies to our family of believers here at Church on the Rock North. You see, we have to go through some things as a church in order to get to the promises of God. Now, this is especially true in these new days when our church family is growing and changing so much. Listen, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I don't know how many people are coming, um, but but we're going to have to go through some things, right? We're going to have to we're going to have to merge our teams, and and we're going to have to. Uh, you know, the, the vision's going to shift and change a little bit, and, and, and we're going to have to go through some things. And I know for some of you, listen, I know for some of you that really scares you and makes you nervous. But I want to tell you, this is God's plan. Don't bail on God's plan because you're a little bit nervous about what you don't know. Listen, God has each and every one of you here for a purpose and a reason. I couldn't stand here if my foot wasn't attached to my leg. You are part of the body. You are. We need you. You're here for a reason. You know, you may be, uh, you know, the, the Bible says that there are parts that are not seen or recognized as much as other parts. And God says he uses those parts of the body more effectively even than those who are seen by everybody. God needs you here. Don't bail on the plan of God because you're afraid of being a little bit uncomfortable or you don't know exactly how things are going to go because this is the Lord. So let me tell you what I know about what's about to happen. I know that God's hand is all over this union. Man, I think you guys are going to hear a lot of the story uh, on February 10th, it's a great story. It's a God story. And, and, and just, I don't even think I know all the pit, the bits and pieces, but, it, but, it, but just seeing how things worked behind the scenes, this is God. This is God moving in our church. Here's something else I know. God has awesome plans for this church. He's got awesome plans for this church. Here's another thing. God is elevating our kingdom impact with what is happening. And you know what? It's, it's not because, uh, Pastor Sam's no good and I, or I'm no good or Jim's no good and the guys coming in are better and they're all, they're all going to answer all our prayers and make everything right. That's not why. It's because the Holy Spirit is stirring. And you know what? It's not about them. It's not about us. It's about to be, I hate to say them and us because it's about to be we. It's not about us. It's because the Holy Spirit has, 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 is moving and there's, there's a, there's a wave of the Spirit coming that we're just going to ride, that we're going to be a part of, and it's going to be work. We're going to have to labor and we're going to have to work and we're going to have to do some things, but it's not going to be because we're awesome. It's going to be because he's awesome. 
And it's coming. It, it's, it's just coming, I'm telling you guys. God is elevating our kingdom impact with what's happening. However, we're going to have to go through some growing pains. You know, we're going to have to go through some things. But let me assure you, the growing pains will be worth it to get where God is bringing our church. Now let's read Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. This is an awesome text. You need to read this and spend some time with it. Uh, I would highly recommend. But, but here's the awesome thing that we need to realize about our lives if we are born again and united to Christ by faith and are thus children of God. Okay, if that's you, then we need to realize that the pain and trouble and difficulties of life, the things that we have to go through, what we're talking about today, they are no longer the wrath and punishment of God against our sin. You see, Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross. All of it. He paid for what you've done in your past. He paid for what we're going to do this afternoon and tomorrow. And next week, Christ has paid for all of our sins. So all the punishment for our sins were laid on Him. And if we are trusting in Him for salvation, now listen, this is awesome. There's no punishment left for us. That's why Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation left for us. There's no punishment. There's no wrath left for us if we are trusting and believing and receiving Jesus. 
So if the things that we have to go through are not punishment, then what are they? Why, 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 if there's no wrath against me, do I have to go through these difficult seasons of life? That's a big question. Here's something awesome about being in Christ. When we are in Christ, the trials of life, Now I'm going to say this three ways so that we get this. This is super duper important. I'm going to say it three ways so that we can get it. When we are in Christ, the trials of life are transformed from punishment for our sins to a means of sanctifying our souls. I'm going to say it another way. If we are born again, our troubles in life are not God's anger against us, but his method of making us righteous like him. And I'm going to say it one more way that you probably heard before, especially if you've got a long history with Church on the Rock. Our present struggles and trials are not punishment for our past, but positioning for our future, ultimately our eternal future. So do you get it? Do you you see what the writer of Hebrews was telling us? It's all been paid for by Jesus. So it's not his anger and his wrath against us. It's his sanctifying process to make us like Jesus. So when a born-again believer experiences trials, we can know a few things that this text from Hebrews teaches us. And I'm just going to kind of rattle them off. And uh, you can see them. This is just bullet points from the passage. We can know that trial and discipline is not punishment. And, and here's the good thing. You know, sometimes discipline does come because we've done something wrong. Not always. Just because you're going through something doesn't mean that you sinned against God. Job teaches us that, right? Um, you know, I like to use the example of my kids. If, if, if they do something blatantly disobedient to me, they will be disciplined, right? However, any good parent is not just going to discipline their kids when they do something wrong. Any good parent is going to bring discipline into the child's life to teach them to be a functioning and a responsible and a good adult. Right? We teach our kids to clean their rooms. We teach our kids to throw away their garbage. We teach our kids to be respectful to adults and other people. And the reason that we do that is, is that if we just discipline whenever they're doing something wrong, then they don't learn these necessary traits that allow them to be a good human being, a functioning human being. And that's the same thing with God. When we do something wrong, yes, we can expect him to discipline us. But just because you're going through something doesn't mean you've done something wrong. God may be refining you and teaching you to be an effective believer in his kingdom 
That's the way he does it, right? But it's not punishment. It's not wrath. It's discipline. He's doing something. Another thing that we can know, we can know that our faith and adoption are legitimate and that God loves us as our Father if we are being disciplined. That's huge. We can know that His goal in our trial is our sanctification. We can know that He is the master physician and He is able to work perfectly in our pain to conform us perfectly to Christ. Now listen, in ways that were not possible without the trials of life. Listen, God chooses. He has made it His method to refine us by fire in this fallen world. You know, our, our, our bodies... If we don't exercise them, right, bad things happen, right? We begin to atrophy. We begin to be weak. Um, you know, bad things happen. There's pain in the gain, right? There's struggle in the increase. It's necessary. And the Bible says that, that bodily exercises, it, it has some worth to it, but, but we should be more concerned with spiritual strength and spiritual health. And that's the way that God does it. He, 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 he allows us to go through the difficulties of life. And Jim testified to it today. It's in those dark places of life where God does some awesome things that he could not, would not have done except for the struggle, right? So before we believed in Christ... We suffered in futility under the wrath of God. It was meaningless. It was wrath. It was punishment. It was futile. But in Christ, our suffering is transformed into a vehicle for our good. God's working for us, not against us. Verses 10 and 11 teach us that for God's children, His discipline, which is the hard things that we go through in life, anything from sickness to slander to persecution to depression, whatever it might be, the, the, the discipline of God in our lives is always good for us, always good for the believer so that we can share in His holiness and so that we might be made righteous. That's what He's doing. So we see that as a church and as a believer, there are some things that we must go through in order to walk in the promise of God, in order to walk into that promise. Like Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, some things we go through will be the result of our sin and rebellion. However, like the crossing of the Jordan River, some things we go through are simply found necessary by our sovereign God to conform us into His image. 
you know, that word sovereign is loaded, right? And sometimes we look at our lives and we, and we think, man, if I could just know why, maybe I could get through this. You know, God is so infinite and so higher than us. There's, there's just probably a thousand things going on in your struggle, in your trial that, that we just don't understand. We just got to trust him as the sovereign Lord, right? As, as, you know, if, if God revealed to us the reason why, it would probably blow our minds. We probably couldn't even understand it or comprehend it because it's, 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 it's just a million tentacles reaching out into his kingdom and his world and rippling in to his big mosaic of, of, of glory and, and the church and his kingdom purpose. But in all the trials and troubles that believers go through, we can know that God's purpose is not to punish because he put all the punishment on Jesus. But his purpose is that we share in his holiness and live uprightly before him, resulting in our sanctification and God receiving much glory. That's what he's doing. Do you know what it does to the world whenever they look at a church or a Christian who is suffering but still serving and praising God? That is a witness. Whenever things are going all wrong, but we still say, God, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. That's a testimony. That's a witness. So let me quickly close with three things that every believer should do to prepare us to go through trials and troubles. And this is going to be fast. So a couple of scripture references, if you want to write them down, we're just going to run through these real quick. Number one, Be in close relationship with Jesus by prayer and the word of God. John 16, 33, Jesus said, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, there's no formula for overcoming the world. We're not practicing witchcraft here where you do this, this, and that, and boom, you've overcome the world. This is Christianity. And it's not about method. It's about relationship with Jesus. And so we've got to be in close relationship with Jesus if we want to overcome the world. Number two, don't focus on the present struggle, but on the eternal promise. Second Corinthians 4 17 through 18, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And listen, so we don't look, we don't focus at the troubles we can see now. Rather, 
we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see, the promises of God, will last forever. Now listen, we need to preach to ourselves. This needs to be in our consciousness that very soon, very soon, might not be in your lifetime, might not be in our kids' lifetime, but in the perspective of eternity, very soon, this world that we live in is going to pass away. It will be no more, and we will love and enjoy God forever in a renewed and restored earth, right? The Bible says that God will make all things new. Heaven will come to earth. God will dwell among His people and fulfill completely and totally all His promises to His people. And in this new earth, we will inhabit glorified, renewed, restored bodies and be fully freed from sin. No longer will the sin that seeks to destroy our lives, it, it won't be a problem anymore. It'll be gone. And we'll live with God forever. Look to that. Look to the promises of God. Number three, trust God. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Man, you could just, if, if there was one scripture, you could just live on this scripture. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself, and having given them right standing, He gave them His glory. You see, trusting God is easy in statement, but is difficult when we're in the middle of trial and tribulation. But in every trial we go through, we can trust that God is using that circumstance for good. Do you trust Him? That's, that's what we have to ask ourselves. You know, when, when things are going well, it's easy to trust God. But when things go sideways in our lives, do I become angry with God or do I push into God? And it's really a matter of do I trust what he says in his word, that this is for my good. So we got to trust God. Now I want to close today um, with a perspective statement. You guys can stand up if you want. We're almost done. Looks like I'm going to make 12 for the first time ever. Uh, 
right as I started to write this sermon, God spoke this to me. And so I kept it in right here at the end. I'm just going to read it. The best you is not a big bank account or a comfortable life or having much glory for yourself or excelling in the things of this world. The best you is a righteous and sanctified and Christ-like you living for God's glory and not your own glory. The best you is not living for this life, but for eternal life and eternal reward and eternal joy in God. So as we experience trials in life, as we experience trials as a church, May God give us grace to not become angry or frustrated, but to believe that God is working holiness and righteousness in us through the trial. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we we love you, God. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's by your word that we're changed, God. It is the rock upon which we stand, Father. And Lord, we, we pray that we would take our, our hearts out of this culture, Lord, out of the things that the world would teach us. God, that's shifting sand. Father, we pray that we, your people, would stand on the rock that is your word, Father. And Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, God, that, that this word would, would go deep down into our hearts and change us, Father. That it would produce fruit uh, for your kingdom, Lord. That it would produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, we pray that, that as individuals and as a church, that as we go through the difficulties and the trials and the troubles of this life, Lord, that you would help us to trust you, Father that you are working for us, that you are not against us, Lord, that you are doing something eternal, something that transcends our comfort, something that transcends convenience. God, something that, that transcends us, Lord, that you are working your eternal purposes in our lives, Father. Help us to trust you in that, God. Help us to realize that it's not all about us. But it's all about you, God. And it's all about your purpose and your kingdom. So, Lord, work that in us, Father. And help us to go through the things of this life with grace, with faith, with praise and worship, God. That the world outside might look and see and believe, Lord. We love you and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.